We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. They say cash flow is the lifeblood of any small business. I don't know who they are, but they sound pretty smart to me. In this episode, we're going to dive into the topic of cash flow secrets, maybe, best practices for sure. So if you struggle to keep your checking account balance in a positive territory, this episode is for you. Say goodbye to NSF, non-sufficient funds, notices, and join small business moguls who have learned to master cash flow. How do you like that introduction, Michael? I love it. By the way, I love the, the reference to they, the generic they, know, know something pretty smart. So yeah, I love it. Good fun. And uh, it's good to take microeconomics, which sounds very dry as dust and something you did in college just to get your degree in order to escape. And the real life, you know, <laughs> fight to the death, or at least it feels like that, that is e-commerce, you know, real life stuff that puts money into your pocket and food on your table for your family or doesn't. And But actually, I think there is way more overlap between the right concept and real life than we as, as business operators tend okay. to give credit for. And yeah. uh, this is why I love this microeconomics and, and first principles thrust and, you know, whole category that we're doing. Yeah. So that's part of that for me. So I think cash flow is critical. If you get this wrong, then you're going to have not enough cash, which is really distressing. That could be the end of your business. And that happens sadly quite often. Bankruptcy can happen even if your profits look good. Cash is not the same as profit famously, but particularly during e-commerce. If you yeah. don't know your numbers, you're driving blind, very dangerous. And if you have really low profits, your business value, even if it survives, is going to be fairly low and you can't pay yourself very much. So get this right and you will know your numbers, which means you feel more secure and it's more sellable. You'll have higher profits, which makes your business more valuable and you'll have plenty of cash, which is reassuring and means that your business is safe. So I think it's the secret to both safety and scaling. And that's why I'm so passionate about this. Yeah, love that's it. That's my main take on it. I, I want to just also mention that we're talking about small business cash flow as well, not just uh, e-commerce specifically in this episode. And I just want to say one little shout out. I, you know, it's still COVID lockdown to some degree here. So I've, I've continued to watch everything possible on both Amazon Prime, Netflix and Hulu and every other streaming service. And my latest show I'm binging is called The Farming Life from BBC. Like it's, I get it on BritBox on Amazon Prime and it's all about British sheep farmers have you seen that show michael is that i have not seen <laughs> i have no idea whether british sheep farmers are popular in britain i i can't imagine that they necessarily are but i have no idea <laughs> it's a really fun show and let me just tell you that in the episodes that i'm watching they're just a year ago so they're struggling with covid hitting them and uh, and they're all in lockdown and all the farmers are all holding inventory they can't sell and their cash flow is all i mean they live uh, you know almost like you know month to month hand to mouth what they can sell they survive on. And so when I was watching it, uh, the episode last night, I was, and these guys are in a cash flow pinch in their businesses. So all that to say, this is transcendent. It goes well beyond just e-commerce, Amazon sellers. There are many people who are working in businesses who need to manage cash flow effectively. And I think this topic will be 
very helpful for them as well. Very, very, very true. And I think you're right. Anyone who holds inventory, basically, whether that be in the form of a cow or a sheep or a plastic widget from China, really has to manage cash flow in a way that somebody's a service-based business or with digital type products like yourselves hasn't got quite the same pressure on them. So yeah, COVID yeah. is really killing a lot of people in the cash flow right now. You're 100% right. Yeah. So let's dive into this topic. What are the the specific terms we should define here? So what what are the actual you know details of when you say cash flow management? What what exactly are you talking about? Good question. Well, so let me just give the sort of bigger picture context first, and then we can sort of argue about how many angels dance on the head of a pin, because there's going to be some more accounting type approach. I'm not suggesting anything scientific in this, more grasping the concept of making it almost physical. For me, that's when it starts to affect how we run a business. So for me, it's like the movement of cash in a business is like the movement of fuel in the combustion engine. And cash is the fuel that makes the entire thing work. So for me, the primary piston movement of our business in the internal combustion analogy is really the conversion of cash into stock through the magic of sales that spark that means a person goes click and adds it to cart and click actually pays and then back into cash at that point and as long as more cash is produced than is used up like a sort of chemical reaction equation then our business moves forward just like with an engine as long as the engine the energy given out by the sales reaction is greater than the energy used Mm -hmm. that spare energy can be used to move the vehicle forwards if, if you like to use the analogy so if that's then intelligently applied through the drivetrain which for me would be the things that gets the wheels the vehicle moves forward so for me the cash flow of a business is right at the heart of the business engine if you will and to reference something we talked about last time or recently we talked about jim collins's flywheel concept which is obviously a literal thing as you pointed out in the engine of a car that kind of captures the engines the energy of the pistons and the crankshaft and, and turns it into smooth motion so for me the cash flow and especially the cash conversion cycle of a business converting stock cash into stock stock into cash effectively for us in our business model e-commerce So that cash conversion cycle is really intimately connected with that flywheel concept. So for me, if the conversion of cash into stock and 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 stock into cash is at the heart of the engine, then the flywheel that matters most to e-commerce, in my opinion, is the one that converts cash to stock and stock to cash. That's the one flywheel that if we get working, everything else has a chance to work. And if that's dead, the whole business is dead, in my opinion. Love it. Wonderful. So obviously it's a big, big topic and we there's a lot of moving parts here to use your engine metaphor. And so let's let's break it down. Now you've got a model that's like a, a three part, you know, kind of concept. So let's let's dive into that a little bit. What do you think the three critical aspects are? And should we break them down one at a time? What do you want to do? Yeah, let's take them one at a time. So I think that the three problems as the sharp is you have, you don't know your numbers, you have low profits, and you don't have enough cash in your account at the end of each month, quarter or year. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the first problem, you don't know your numbers. Let's Mm. dive into that. I mean, I think to put my own point of view on it, you know, you cash cash flow is a a two edged sword, isn't it? Sometimes actually, it's best to have problems with cash flow. (laughs) because it actually forces you to get really, really clear on your numbers. Sometimes actually, you know, abundance of cash flow allows you to be sloppier than you should be. And we're all, it's human nature as small business operators to just focus on problem solving. And if cash flow isn't a problem, then you don't have to go in and grind it out and actually know your numbers. And uh, so, you know, I think that's, it's, it's one of the ironies of it actually, is that being lean forces you to have good discipline and uh, but talk more about not knowing your numbers what what's the solution and what are your thoughts on it well to your point they say that wisdom comes from experience and experience comes from 
taking action based on bad judgment so mm. maybe what you're saying is that you have to experience some pain before you start taking it seriously and that's probably true so i suppose i you can sort of flag this up as an issue but it's only a theory until you've experienced mm. not being able to meet payroll and then suddenly you're going to take it seriously you're absolutely right so yeah why do you need to know your numbers i guess that what you've just said is really if it feels like you don't need to know them maybe that's true for now but if you keep growing they, there's a famous phrase Vern harnish articulated it of the Rockefeller habits fame and he said growth sucks cash so if you have abundant cash flow you're either not growing or if you have it now but you start growing aggressively on the basis of it sooner or later you will have cash flow problems and then as you say you'll be forced to sort it out so the solution to not knowing your numbers is kind of head slapping the obvious in a way know your numbers or get accurate accounting but that's obviously an easy thing to say let's break it down into i think three areas and then happy to discuss any of those and see what your opinion is of course so i think the first thing is to get a chart of accounts which is that magic num way of doing things which doesn't feel very magic by the way and i would definitely get a professional an accounting professional involved in this but really it what it means is it converts the individual transactions that happen in your business and puts them into the right place in your accounting so does it affect your balance sheet does it affect your profit and loss that kind of thing and i think until that's set up you really cannot have your accurate three you know really core financial documents which is to say your profit and loss account of course which mm -hmm. most people are familiar with at some level but they get very confused between that and the cash flow and the missing piece is the balance sheet so you really mm -hmm. have to have i think those three documents for any business that has any kind of ambition to scale let alone is at quite a scale already that is to say profit and loss balance sheet and cash mm -hmm. flow statement and if you haven't got a chart of accounts yeah then you can't really translate the day-to-day -day operations into those three documents and yeah, you're great. driving blind yeah great point i mean i guess in my practice in our practice i think probably how that came together was that organically occurred as we tried to get our profit and loss statement sorted out so it you know the profit and loss statement was the the prize <laughs> i guess you could say and the chart of accounts process was just to get the clarity that we needed to get there and, and in our business, we've always focused on, on the P&L more. And honestly, I suppose in my coaching client, I always, I always push people to focus on their profit and loss statement. But to your point, cash flow, uh, statement cash flows and balance sheet, of course, important as well. But the P&L, I think, is infinitely helpful as a month-by-month -month tool and yeah. a quarter-by-quarter -quarter tool to go back and say, where exactly are we uh, spending a lot of money and, and what actually fell to the bottom line, net profit, that we can say, hey, this is you know, this is what we're actually pulling out of the business, living on or whatever. So to me, the P&L is, is really the instrument of optimal management, I think, I just, in my opinion, for, for small business operators, or at least a first great tool. You know? Yeah, it's interesting statement. I mean, I'm going to talk about that under the third problem. I've got some things to say about the balance sheet management, mm -hmm. which I think is a neglected area. And therefore, mm -hmm. for a lot of people, fairly oh, relatively cool. easy wins, actually, because a lot of us are okay, if you don't know what's going on at all, not knowing any numbers, of course, that's disastrous. And it's easy enough to do. As you say, knowing your profit and loss well is is really a great idea. We don't, yes, as the first starting point, I, I would say that the balance sheet, there's power in that. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Let, let's get a couple of things out and then let's let's talk about this. Because obviously, you know, knowing your numbers accurate accounted, this is like a, a micro, this is like an overview of a lot of things, which in themselves, we may yeah. need to deep dive into in other episodes, I think. So the second thing is integrating your bookkeeping and planning platform so this is more of a sort of SaaS or mechanics about it but i think it is important 
if you're going to have lots and lots of transactions happening on the platforms, Amazon, Shopify, wherever else, on the yeah. one hand, and then on the other hand, you've got a chart of accounts that kind of tries to neatly turn those into the three financial statements, then uh, you've got to actually make that happen in practice in a slick way. Otherwise, you're going to have your chart of accounts uh, here sitting there lonely, a bunch of transactions happening here, and you, yeah. you theoretically intend to put them together, but you never get round to it because you're busy running your business. And so I think it's really important to either use SaaS or software and or people that, that are very dedicated to that. So I would say if you're looking for integrating Zero or QuickBooks into Amazon, linked my Link My Books is the best software for that, which I happen to know the guys who set it up. Some British guys, um, one's oh, called wow. Swedish Dan and lives in Sweden, and the other one, Pete, actually lives <laughs> in uh, Australia. So they're Brits abroad. They're very, very smart guys. They know Amazon really well. One of them's got a huge programming background. So that is really the one that I would recommend. Another one that you could use is Zero. I think it's uh, A2X, which links Amazon to Zero. Okay. And I'm sure there are Shopify equivalents, but that's a practical piece where you're articulating this theoretical good to do into actually doing it link my books that's mm -hmm. interesting okay because yeah i was going to ask you kind of what your recommendations were in our business experience and what we can you know always uh, encourage people to get into is quickbooks online we started with quickbooks in the offline version and we were on that for a long time and finally had to make this transition to quickbooks online but yeah that's the tool of choice for been for us link Maybe, my yeah. books sounds like an interesting you know uh, tool to help put it all together as well exactly i think it i mean i suppose that the tool for the chart of accounts is really quickbooks which will automatically yeah. once you've created a chart of accounts will start to turn your daily journal transactions into uh, put it sort into it. the right place mm -hmm. and sort yeah. it into the profit and loss the balance sheet the cash flow statement and so forth and and indeed other things if you want them other reports if you want to get clever yeah. and yeah quickbooks is great zero xero is also one that i've used personally and works pretty well so i, I think to be honest and we're talking already about software but also people interact with software yeah. for me personally i would say if you're an accountant that you know knows your business model and understands your business wants to use quickbooks then use quickbooks and if they want to use zero then use zero because mm -hmm. there's nothing worse than a conflict between yeah. an otherwise very very capable professional and uh, they're fighting with your software right this is in my opinion not the way to do it uh, or you could put it another way which is to say you only want want to work with financial professionals who work with the software package that you built your business around yeah absolutely right yeah and uh, and i think it's important to think through you know how, how to do this you know we have a lot of people who in our consulting practice have become very very comfortable with you know a client I, I don't uh, or sorry uh, an intermediary uh, person I don't think say who he is or I, I'm not going to promote him during this episode but I would just say that he's a contractor who's very very good at books and he takes on clients and so you can find someone like that who can be a real person sorting this out at scale for you I think it's critical as you grow I don't think when you start you need that person. But I think after you get into the seven-figure range of selling, you, you're going to want somebody who systematically closes your books and does your P&L statement for you so that it's just not on your plate. And and every month you've got your, your documents that you can look at and review. And, and then they do special projects frequently as well. And I think that's a key part of the staffing component of this. Generally, I found that is not your local CPA or local bookkeeper who just knows how to do you know small business i think it's a specialist role i think you find that person online these days i think yeah. frequently they have big six accounting firm experience or background 
I think they can be an international contractor abroad, India, Philippines, somewhere like that, Eastern Europe. And they know what they're doing in an incredibly efficient way to manage, you know, the process of, of reporting. And it's really like a de facto ghost CFO almost. A CFO has controls and responsibility. So it's not really that level, but it's someone who has the sophistication to put that level of reporting together, I guess yeah. is how I describe it. Yeah, I think you're right. Now, what's interesting to me is, is a couple of things around that. What we're talking about is constructing the accounts accurately. Now, that isn't using them or understanding them yet. That's a different right. thing again. Yeah. I would say the this, numbers. Yeah. Exactly. Just getting the numbers right. However, just yeah. getting the numbers is properly the job, I think, of an accountant to set the system up and mm-hmm. a bookkeeper to run it. But I do think you, as you, you're implying, you do need a bookkeeper who's fairly expert and understands your system and your industry, unless you are yourself very on top of it, in which case you can yeah. Put more right. SOPs and more training in, you can get lower grade workers. But I would always caution people, as I think we're both on the same page with this, I would caution you at getting very inexpert people in to do your bookkeeping right. just because right. they're cheap. Yeah. Just because you've been doing it yourself and you're, you're cheapskate, the, the numbers are so absolutely critical. You wouldn't outsource building like a BMW or a Mercedes high end German car and then outsource the, the making the light bulbs for the headlamps, which are a critical component, and then give it to some guy down the road just because he knows how to put a torch battery together that that's not good enough you will crash if you do that and i think it's too important talking about the headlights i guess the best the best analogy i can give if we're talking car metaphors today that which i seem to be (laughs) for some reason um trying to make this stuff concrete and real i guess is this that it's all very well having accurate accounting for where you're at now but if you're growing and you're growing fast it's really really important to project forward not just profit and loss which is a nice comforting idea projecting how much profit you're going to make but your cash flow projections because my experience with that in e-commerce particularly if you're importing from china and especially if you're selling on amazon which can have really incredible selling spikes is that your cash flow weight probably spikes up and down way more than you would intuitively think it does and particularly if you're you know having to put a load of orders in in august for christmas and then you have uh, your post christmas sales come yeah. in in january yeah. then you'll find massive spikes downwards in august and massive spikes upwards in january if you mm-hmm. happen to be a q4 mm-hmm. centered gift gift centered seller yeah. but even if you aren't i think it's really really important to do a cash flow projection even if you just start with a quarter by quarter the big businesses i know when i say big i mean they're scaling from seven to eight figures they tend to have a three year five year or even a 10 year cash flow projection mm-hmm. Now, they generally have a CFO at that point, but even if you start off small, it's way better than nothing. And I think driving without a cash flow projection is driving blind at night without your lights on. I think it's incredibly dangerous, personally. Yeah, no, I, I love this. I mean, this really transcends, I guess, what we've done in this first you know, uh, few minutes of the podcast is talked about going from entry level, brand new, where you're just trying to keep your checking account balance above zero to the point at which you've got velocity of sales occurring and that creates different set of problems and challenges and uh, cash flow management or projection you know creating your future you know information they call it pro forma work you know your your next year's cash flow statement or profit and loss statement etc cetera, etc cetera. that becomes critical tools for understanding what you need to prepare for if you have to finance things or whatever you know, related to just planning. And, and uh, so I think that's fantastic. Okay. So I think we've gotten the, the first issue nailed. So what's the second general problem or uh, concern related to cash flow management that you see? 
So it's about low profits. Now, often a profit and loss focused operators, as you have been implying quite correctly, that one should start off at least that way, will see the problem as a profit problem. And that it is very true. But I think there's a more profound problem, which is a cash flow problem. If you have low profits, you have low cash flow. Low profits will make your business less valuable. And it means you're not allowed to take uh, dividends out because dividends have to come out of profits. You're not legally allowed, at least in the UK system, to take them out. But low cash flow for me is much more dangerous that is basically how businesses die because low cash flow can lead to not being able to be- meet your bills as they fall due and that's technically bankruptcy game over so for me low profits is a bigger problem than just not not being a valuable business today or being able to take money out today low profits leads to low cash flow so it's incredibly important to address it and uh, really the solution is obviously to maximize your profits and i think there are there, there's a wonderful book called stark naked numbers by jason andrew who i think uh, lives and works in the US but was originally from the, the Australia so he's got that slight bluntness that, that I quite like and Brits quite like sometimes in Australians and he's a CPA and a very smart guy but there are four what he calls profit levers and I'm going to give them in, in order of priority which is not necessarily the order that people normally do them normally what people want to do is increase unit sales and on Amazon the temptation is to drop the price and go heavy on advertising that's not going to get you extra profits very easily it may do but it's not not the best way the best way is to increase pricing that really hugely impacts profit it's obviously hard and we can discuss how to do that the second one is lowering direct costs obviously really critical if you can go back to your supplier and and renegotiate the third thing is increasing unit sales so at some point that comes in and the fourth thing is to lower your overhead which if you're a relatively small business won't have a big impact if you're really big that that may be a doable thing companies tend to reach for lowering overhead otherwise known in lots of euphemisms which as an hr former hr professional you will have learned to love uh, aka hate which is things like restructuring but it's actually the least effective way of increasing profits according to jason andrew who knows his business so those are the four profit levers increase pricing lower direct costs increase unit sales lower overhead wow okay i think i'm a little bit lost to be completely candid <laughs> please um, uh, please be candid i will try and explain low profits don't lead to low cash flow in my experience what i see frequently happen is people who have huge cash flow and no profit interesting so they have well sure they're seven figure sellers that don't make any money Mm-hmm. They're eight-figure sellers who go bankrupt. So the velocity of sales to me has never been attached to profits. And so maybe that's the terminology we should clarify. I, yeah, I, say, we should. I say to people frequently in my consulting practice, you don't have a sales problem. Because they don't need – a lot of small business sellers, especially people who are you know kind of in growth mode, they're constantly focused on increasing their top line, you know, just – sales to to your phrase cash flow that is not the exercise the exercise is retaining profit <laughs> you know and and so i frequently ask people to stop focusing on their top line growth and to start focusing on optimization for net profit and the change can be striking i mean you, you can literally have somebody who let's just say they have $100,000 uh, a month in sales and are literally not paying themselves as you know owner's draw or you know don't, don't have money they're taking out of their business because they feel like they can't afford it and within a month or two you can have them have just a bounty of cash flow of net profit that that they retain and so i guess that's what my, that's where i just your first phrase maybe trip me up but low profits i completely agree with 
is a problem. And so I don't know if that makes any sense, but let's revisit your four now just to frame it in my mind properly, or maybe I've confused myself. I don't know. I don't know, but it's, it's a very, very important topic to discuss. And, I, and I'm sure that there are many things I say that I think are clear in my head and on, on the outside, which is why a discussion-based podcast is so much better than just talking to, to a camera because you got some feedback immediately and like, my, that didn't make sense. <laughs> so, so let me put it another way. I, what's interesting is that it seems to be emerging that we have um, slightly different sort of obsessions, if you like, and your profit very, very profit focused and obviously mm-hmm. aware of cash flow you're a super smart educated guy with an mba but your your focus is profit for yes. some reason i'm i'm maybe going too far in the direction of focusing on cash flow but they are all mm. important <laughs> please okay, do not yeah. misunderstand that i would never say it doesn't matter if you don't make a profit <laughs> that would be an insane thing to do because you would be working really hard for no good reason you wouldn't be building value yeah. or paying yourself right. so However, what I suppose I'm pointing out is not in either or, but both and. Low profits may not be the reason for bad cash flow or vice versa. Mm-hmm. However, often a reason behind bad cash flow is that you're simply not making a profit. And eventually that will show up in the cash flow. It takes a while. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So right. l- let me put it this way. It's not the, these are four levers you can pull to maximize yeah. profits which may or may not also you know, impact your cash flow in a way that's necessary. Yeah. So the four right. levers are increasing pricing. Yeah. Uh, which all things be equal, obviously, if you sell something for mm-hmm. um, $25 and you used to sell it for 20 and your costs were 18 you've massively increased your, your profits. Expanded, yeah. sure. Yeah. Exactly. Lower direct costs. If you sell it $20 and your costs were $18 per unit total and you bring it down to $15, you have you've, again, more than doubled your profit. Uh, that's interesting because when I think of lower direct costs, I think of all the non-cost of goods related expenses in a business. Mm-hmm. The biggest one that I see people just literally take piles of money and light them on fire. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, in, in Facebook advertising. Yeah, correct. Uh, you know, you, you can just turn on a literal fire hydrant of cash that goes, it, it does nothing for you in, yes. in advertising. You can do it on Facebook and you can do it on Google as well. But, yeah. I, you know, I frequently see operators who have just streams of ongoing expense dollars flowing out through the I'm advertising, <laughs> you know, uh, line. Then are like, whoa, wait, how much are you spending? So anyway, yeah. so yeah, but I take your point. Cost of goods associated expenses are important as well. Absolutely. I mean, let's put it in simple terms. If you're buying a widget for $5 and selling it for 20 if you can buy it for 4 that extra dollar falls yeah. to your bottom line. Let's not yeah. be over complex about it. But it's also to the point of the cash flow management, since that's what we're focused on today, also increases the positive cash flow of your business, mm-hmm. which means, yeah, it's not it's not that profits aren't important, they're critical. But also if you have cash, then that will enable you to actually buy new stock next time, whereas profits are, you know, theoretical until the point where you actually get paid, right, I would yeah. just say. Sure. And also to your point about advertising, 100%. I've personally seen that myself, some insane things with advertising, particularly off Amazon advertising, yeah. which is not in realms where people are automatically geared to buying products. So the conversion rate can be hellishly low. Yeah. And Facebook ads are, are, can be horrendous. I would probably call that an overhead, an advertising overhead. I mean, is it a direct cost? You yeah, can I argue these things. I see what you're doing, or he's done in this list, which is the lower direct cost is in reference to product costs. And Basically, then his yes. overhead phrase for his last one, finally lower overhead, is related to all things non-product. Yeah, I get it. So. Yeah, you could put it that way. And listen, the, the, the whole thing of like direct versus indirect costs can end up being one of those how many angels dance at the head of a pin yeah, discussions. Sure. And it's very important that you and your accountant understand what you mean by these things and that, that you have the same common language and the same if you want to bring external investors in that they 
understand what you mean by it but in the end you just have to clarify it for your own particular business where you put those lines varies between e-commerce operators i know for example that with advertising sometimes that's seen as a direct cost some people put it as an overhead so anyway hopefully that makes sense (laughs) it does i mean it's a good list i'll just say that increased unit sales is on that list and i will just say that increasing unit sales only helps maximize profit if it's unit sales that are in line with your margin and you know that have because like so for example we had a a good solid six figure revenue stream that over a couple year period we just did the math on and realized there is no money in this yeah absolutely and so I- when we <laughs> when we eliminated that revenue stream or and all those unit sales in essence they were unit sales and all the ca- all the associated income from that or, or money from that our business net profit went up yeah. And so we lowered our top line number and increased our net profit. Yeah. And so I think there's important analysis to be done. And that goes back to your first point, which is knowing your numbers. And yeah. if you have a stream of products, two, three, four, five, six products, then optimizing net profit is an exercise in optimizing the revenue from those unit from those different types of products. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I, I think there's a nuance there. Yeah. There is. I mean, and I guess I've kept, tried to keep it simple, but maybe I've oversimplified it. What I should say, of course, is if you want to maximize your profits, you need to increase profitable unit sales <laughs> rather than unit sales yeah, of things right. that aren't profitable, which exactly. is a very good point that you've just put your finger on, which is that a lot of products, if you do an analysis, an 80-20 rule of applied to your products, and you look at what products uh, produce what profit, what percentage of your profit, not revenue profit. And you always have to say the number twice because people don't automatically think about profit as you, to your point, absolutely no. right. They think in terms of revenue. If you look at a hundred products, you may find that 20 of them produce 120% of your profit, which sounds like a maths, you know, error until you realize that what that means is 80% of them are losing you money to yeah. your point, which is very true. Hey there, folks. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the e-commerce leader podcast. And today we've been talking about cash flow, of course, particularly cash flow for small businesses and specifically e-commerce. Although a lot of the stuff we've been talking about is true for any business model where you're working with inventory or stock. So really, I think cash flow is the engine or is the, you know, I suppose it's the, the flow of fuel, if you wish, or the conversion of fuel into other things or you know the analogy breaks down at some point but it's it's really the heart of the business engine and for me the important is both safety because if you run out of cash your business is over but also scale so growing your business if you manage your cash flow well is absolutely key and i've seen that the more ambitious you are to grow and we've talked about various levels of ambitiousness and aggressiveness uh, with jason already and it's not to say that you should sacrifice safety for growth or whatever, but the cash flow is at the heart of both of those things, scaling and safety. So we've talked about the, the first two big problem areas. Just to summarize, first thing is not knowing your numbers. That's very, very common with early stage people. And as Jason was saying, actually kind of is quite good to hit the pain of not knowing your numbers because it forces you to know your numbers. The three basics of knowing your numbers, chart of accounts, in other words, basically having a place in your your accounting system, probably QuickBooks or Zero, but it could be done on pieces of paper, literally, or more likely a spreadsheet in early stages. 
having an Amazon integration or a Shopify integration, whatever it is, your your sales platform integrates with your your accounting software. And then obviously also having a person to run that for you and creating cash flow projections. Again, the first thing is to know your numbers. And the very second thing really is to create a cash flow projection. I personally feel if you haven't got at least a quarterly cash flow projection in the next 13 weeks, you're really driving blind. And that's got to be a priority after getting your books sorted. Getting your book sorted, therefore, is not a, an add-on to running a clean business in an ideal world. It is, I believe, essential. And I've been there with running, you know, not very, with somewhat messy books. Uh, I think a lot of my clients have as well in the past. But I promise you, the clients that I work with, even at early six-figure stages who get that sorted out, it gives them confidence. And quite often, I've found that it gets them quite quickly conversations with investors who are confident to invest, whereas before they wouldn't have touched it with a barge pole. The second thing we've talked about is profit maximization and very interesting that we got into a discussion with, with Jason and myself uh, to try and clarify what we were talking about. Really, in the end, I think the, the, the levers that we can pull are simply increasing pricing, lowering direct costs or product costs, perhaps is a better word, and increasing unit sales, but only as we discussed and, and came to the conclusion, only profitable sales. There's no point in increasing your sales volume, which is a very default thing to end up doing on Amazon by lowering your price and upping your ad spend. If what it means is you're going to lower your profit to zero, you will not increase your profits that way. And, and it may turn your cash over quicker, but it won't really help your cash flow in the longer term either. So that's the first two things we're going to talk about. The third problem, which is simply not enough cash in the next episode. As ever, we hope sincerely that this is of help to you. This is based on really work with either our own in our own businesses and or with our clients who in both of our cases were some pretty serious operators as well as earlier stage people. And so I do have really, really great faith that this stuff is really, really important. I know it's a lot to get your head around. As ever, if you want to get some show notes that may help shed a light, go to theecommerceleader.com. And don't forget, if you're finding this useful, to subscribe to a podcast uh, player of your choice. And the final thing is, if you are enjoying this, we'd love your highest and best review or even just a rating. So simply a mark out of five stars, if you will. If you're on Apple Podcasts and you can just take 10 seconds to do that, that would be enormously helpful to us. And that's the only reward we're looking for, for giving you this free content and hopefully helping you to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. Thanks for listening. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>